Hello Scouted Football Podcast fans, welcome back. A bit of a change of pace to begin this week's episode. For those of us living in the UK, it's been hard to escape one particular news story in the past week or so surrounding the topic of male violence against women. It's an issue that's universal, it affects every one of us because each of us know a woman who's felt unsafe walking alone. The fact that 97% of young women in the United Kingdom have faced sexual harassment is as shocking as it is concerning. Given that this is a podcast with a predominantly male listenership, I think it's important that we as men take it upon ourselves to positively change our own behaviour so that women no longer have to alter theirs in fear of being approached, made to feel uncomfortable, unsafe and even attacked. Whether it's crossing to the other side of the road if you're walking behind somebody, or calling out problematic behaviour among friends, or jokes and bad taste, that sort of thing can make all the difference. This is a real issue, but one we were all capable of doing something about. Thank you. Hello, you're listening to the Scouted Football Podcast with myself, Joe Donahue. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be able to announce we have the return of Lee Scott, and we're going to be looking at some second-tier scouting, so that is players in the second division of their respective nations. Um, Lee, it's been uh, it's been a little while, but how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Joe. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. Um, obviously, the under-21 Euros has kicked off, so that's going to keep my evenings busy for the next <laughs> week. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make a, 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 a bit of a drab international break a little bit more exciting i think um and yeah it's it's something to, to fill the days with i suppose yeah exactly i've, I've already warned my wife i think I, I was relegated to watching the the holland game last night on the ipad with headphones in so you know that that's a compromise you kind of have to come to sometimes you know it's a compromise when the headphones go in it, <laughs> that's just it's one of those things you just have to accept and you kind of just tuned out to the rest of the world yeah. but yeah um very much the same at my end as well um and, and it's interesting because there are a lot of um of players who currently play in the second tier of their respective nations um playing at that tournament i think italy's team um they drew 1-1 with the czech republic uh, and and they had quite a few Serie B players in there. Um, but in terms of today, we, we've we've got sort of three players each uh, that we're going to discuss uh, and sort of compare notes on. Um, Lee, I was just wondering if you'd like to to get us underway, or would you like? Are you feeling a bit nervous? Do you want me to? Do you want me to go first? It's fine. I think I'll manage to go first. Um, <laughs> I I think I'll, I'll go with the. I've, I've actually picked a defender and two midfielders, so I'll go for a defender first. And my defender is Bafode Diakiti, the the twenty year old French centre back who plays in the second tier of French football for Toulouse. Um, he's a really interesting player. Um, somebody who I've been watching for a little while. Obviously, Toulouse were were relegated last term. They're looking likely to be in the promotion charge this season. I think I'm right in saying that they're currently, I think, third in the table. Although Clermont Fou have got a, a a game in hand on them just above them so that the gap between third and second might stretch a little bit um to lose themselves a little bit interesting because they've just been bought over well not just this season they've been bought over by the red bird football group uh, which has damian Camoli as the the president of football and president or head of football operations at the group so there's a little bit of investment at the club and to lose are a club who are really well known for great youth development they always seem to have one or two players popping around the first team that have come through their youth system and and these players will go on to have good careers elsewhere or they'll develop into really important first team players for the club. If I had to put my money on it, I would say that Diakiti will be somebody who will move on somewhere else because he's got 
he's got a profile, not just because, I mean, you talk about French centre-backs at the moment and they seem to be all the vogue. If you look at the, the under-21 squad that the French have got at this European Championship, their, their defensive options are staggering. And Diakiti is somebody who may have to wait his turn from an international perspective a little bit, but that doesn't diminish his quality. He's not undersized. I think he's just about six foot, six foot one, but he's got quite a powerful build. He's one of these modern defenders that can play as part of a back three or he can play as a, as one of a back four. He's really comfortable in possession of the ball, which is obviously what everybody's looking for at the moment. And interestingly for Toulouse, he quite often plays on the left-hand side despite being right-footed. So he is comfortable when he has to make challenges or play the ball on his left-hand side as well as being able to play the ball on the right. He's capable of stepping into midfield in possession and finding those line-breaking passes. I mean, I'll be honest, when, when I scout centre-halves, that, that's always something that I like to see. I like to see centre-backs who are willing to, to take chances and, and play that line-breaking pass that adds packing value to, to use the, the advanced stat that's been coined by the German company. Um, but what's really important, I think, is that he can also defend there's been a couple of times, if you watch clips of him play or you go back and watch his games from last season, there's been a couple of times where he's made really important challenges in the defensive phase. And the way he celebrates when he makes a great clearance, it's like he scored mm. a goal. And that <laughs> that's something that you really want to see from a young defender because you want a defender who, yes, he can play on the ball, but you want them to love defending because that's their job. 70% of the time, unless you're playing in a really ridiculously possession-orientated team in a Manchester City where, for the most part, they're using the build-up phase and progression. But for the most part, you're going to have defenders wanting to defend, and Diakiti gives you that. He's really powerful, quick, intelligent footballer, and I think that he is primed for, the, for a move this summer at the age of 20. I think that it's quite likely, especially if Toulouse end up not going up, I don't think there's any chance they can hold on to him. Yeah, that, that title race, or rather the promotion race in Ligue 2 is, is really hotting up at the moment. Um, and there's a player that, that is in in amongst it um, that, that I've selected as well. But just on Diakite, um, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned, obviously, that he's, um, he's a right footer in a back three, but can also play on the left. Um, because that's one of the things that I noticed as well, because, you know, typically he'll be on the right hand side of that back three. Um, but uh, on, on other occasions, you know, you could see him popping up on the left-hand side. And I thought, well, you know, it's it, it's good that you can have that versatility. Um, often, you know, young players actually become victims of their own versatility sometimes. Um, but I think that that is, is, is especially in his position, um, it's not as though he's playing uh, left wing, right wing and, and, and central midfield. It's like, you know, he, he's essentially playing the same position, but on both sides. So I quite like that versatility because, you know, if there's, if there's an injury to the left-sided centre half or wherever he goes, you know, he can he can be that man to to, to step in um, on on either side of the defence. Um, in terms of you know him typically playing in this back three, do you, do you think there's anything about his game that perhaps would be um, exposed a little bit if he was playing in a in a back four with a sort of a two-man central defence partnership, or or you know is he is is he as we were saying, versatile enough to play as in a in a back three, but also a, a back two in terms of um, cent- central defensive partnerships. I think that from a tactical perspective, sometimes you've got to you've got to understand with a young player when they play as a back three, especially Diakiti. I've already touched upon the fact he's quite comfortable in the ball and he doesn't mind stepping in midfield and carrying the ball into the opposition half and trying to trigger the opposition to press him before he passes the ball on. 
I think in a back three, you can do that comfortably because you have good cover. I mean, the other two centre-halves are there. They're able to, to slide over and provide good defensive cover and a good base to the attack like that. But I think when you play as part of a back four, it becomes more difficult unless the team that you're playing in are very well coached. I mean, you see the likes of Virgil van Dijk do it. You see the likes of John Stones do it. You see, like, say, Merrick Laporte do it. All these people who play at the very, very top level. But when they make those movements, the rest of the team understand how they need to provide balance and cover behind. So you might see the six slide across. You might see the full back drop deeper because the centre half's pressed up. I think that as he makes the next move, it's going to become very evident if that's something that he's going to continue to do because it's likely his next move will be to a team at a higher level with a higher level of competition where players, opposition players, if Diakiti steps into midfield and loses the ball or if his pass is loose and the opposition regain possession and transition, I think then it becomes really interesting because you start to see whether he can adjust his game to no longer make those mistakes because they, they will take advantage of any mistakes that he makes. Diakite is one who um, had a pretty hard start to life as a professional footballer in terms of you know being in that Toulouse defence last season, yeah. uh, that being 2019-20, that just lost so many consecutive games in Liga that season. Um, you know That was very much a, a year in which uh, it was a very inexperienced defence um, it was just it was hemorrhaging goals, uh, and it, you know before the season was curtailed due to COVID, um, you know the, the team were on a one way on one way ticket to Ligue 2. It's obviously good to see that they've bounced back. You know they're they're in in within the race to to come back up. Um, but in terms of a person on a personal level, Dikite is obviously he's stuck he's stuck around. He hasn't sort of um, jumped ship at, at all. He's he's now in sort of an integral part of this this promotion challenging squad. Are there any improvements that you've seen in his game some, from sort of season one to season two? And 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 would you say that, you know, c- c- because often when you drop down a, a division, you know, obviously the, the quality isn't the same. Um, would you say that any of these improvements that you've seen are to do with the level of quality that he's facing or rather that he's just getting more exposure, more first team experience? I think you could argue it's a little bit of everything, but for a young player to suffer a a relegation in his his first season in the first team is difficult, especially a young player who who played quite a few minutes in that relegation season, although it was interrupted by COVID. I think that he was still somebody who the hierarchy at Toulouse and the coaching staff trusted. Um, Obviously, they haven't gone out and tried to replace him, but at the same time, he hasn't crumbled under that pressure. I think that what we've seen, obviously, because last season was a completely different picture for him. They, they were so poor in Liga last season, which isn't normal. Toulouse are, are normally a fairly consistent mid-table kind of League One outfit who, who do well in terms of player sales and player trading. But they were so poor from a defensive perspective that the pictures that he was seeing on the pitch last season are completely different to what he's seen this season. Toulouse didn't have possession. They didn't have the ball to look for these moments when defenders could step forward or defenders could play the diagonal pass to access space in the far side of the pitch he was just defending for his life for the vast majority of last season because they were under pressure almost constantly within matches there were times where they would have possession obviously but then it becomes really difficult for a young player because your team are struggling your team are behind your team are losing the possession battle so the moments when you do get the ball being able to have the calmness to to make the right choice and make the correct progressive pass becomes really difficult. I think this season, because yes, the, the quality in terms of their opponents is less, 
they perhaps got a little bit more time in terms of pre- terms of preparation. Although the the fixture list is still congested in League Two, League Two, sorry. Um, I think that you're starting to see a different picture because this is the player who is more comfortable, perhaps with a little bit more time in the ball when he's able to make correct correct choices and he's not just purely seen as a defensive player and that might be something that needs to be mirrored in his next move he might need to move to a club who are willing to play a little bit more possession oriented instead of a club who are looking to just sit in a, a low block and then play quick transition football yeah, that's certainly one of the considerations that I think um, any player who who is sort of performing um, at, at the top level of a second division is, is going to need to take into account um, when the inevitable transfer speculation comes around from teams in the in the top flight. Um, and just staying in France, though, um, moving on to sort of my first pick um, from from second tier scouting, um, I've, I've gone with um, Clermont Foot's uh, Mohamed Bayo. Um, who's a, a 22-year-old striker, very much staying with the theme of um, picking strikers in these scouting episodes that we had last last time around, Lee. Um, but he's um, he, he's six foot two inches tall. He's he's quite a presence on the pitch. Um, and and the first thing that I've got in my notes is that he's a knees up sprinter. Um, <laughs> Because it seems as though whenever he goes through on goal, his knees are almost touching his chest um, because he's just powering these legs to try and get onto the ball. He's got he's got a, a huge cadence, a huge great, a huge gait um, to, to get onto the ball. Uh, and, and sort of when he does latch onto it, unlike other players, typically more diminutive players, it's not as though he's cutting back onto a favoured foot and, and waiting for, for reinforcements. He's always sort of powering through. Um and I think it would be it would be a mischaracterization to say that he is purely a, a player who is you know someone who can play on the shoulder and go through on goal. That is true; he can play like that. But he also does have quite intelligent uh, penalty box movement, from what I've seen. Um, you know, he, he he tends to arrive at the right time, doesn't break his stride, which is which. I mean, I'm not comparing him to him, but it's the same sort of thing that Erling Haaland does that we see for Dortmund in that that near post. Um, run at the left-hand side. You know when the ball is coming across from from the left, he never seems to break stride, um, and that allows him to get a clean strike on the ball. It's 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 almost like he just arrives right place, right time, and that's the, that's a hallmark of good strikers. Um, and and it's very similar in terms of Bale's um, striking. Um, you know he he tends to 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 get on the end of cutbacks really well, um, and of course there is a caveat that. League does defending isn't the best at most of the time, uh, and there have been occasions this season, especially when he scored, where there have been balls played across, and you know the, there's nobody within three to five to eight yards of him, and it's like, well, you know, most people are probably most top strikers are going to put those away, um, but in terms of you know being a striker, he's I think he's got around thirty goals in the past two seasons um, at, at league the level. Um, so, and and um, at Championnat National, um, where he was out on loan last season, um, so you know this the scope to say that you know he's 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 risen to the challenge in in Ligue 2 this season with Clermont Foot, um, and I mean top level, I think you may be pushing it in terms of his his his, his ceiling, his potential, um, but I do see some sort of similarities. It's it's actually quite it's quite funny because I see similarities between him and uh, Famara Dieju, who is of Bristol City, who was also at Clermont Foot uh, before getting moved to England. And and I think the championship is probably a league that Bale would probably do quite well in. Um, you know, he's physical enough, but he's also smart enough to make that step up. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see some interest from that sort of that sort of area um, because he is 
he, yeah, he's he's a he's a multifaceted striker, but has the the physical tools to to be able to mix it. Yeah, definitely. I think that when you sent me across your message with your player picks, I responded saying that I'm convinced that Bio scores about twenty percent of his goals by accident. Yeah. <laughs> when you watch him play, there is an awful lot of times the ball comes across and he makes contact somehow, but you're not quite yeah. sure sometimes how he's made contact and the ball ends up in the goal. But I think. I first became aware of Bio when he was playing on load at Dunkirk in the, the lower tiers. I was doing some lower tier scouting using data and Bio's numbers just stood right out. So, of course, I went and had a look. And at first you're looking at him and you're going, I'm not convinced because it looks ungainly. You'd mm. be right with the knees right up and he goes through on goal and he's so single-minded. But then after a period of time when a player even at that level and then at second tier level when they start to show the level of output he does in terms of i mean to be honest his goal invo- involvements are goals per 90 that they're not really assists per 90 he's not a he's not a false nine he's not a creator he, the, he probably makes more opportunities for teammates because opposition defenses are so scared of him that they cluster closer together towards him and then create space elsewhere it's similar to the, the concept of gravity in, in basketball when a really effective attacking player creates room by teammates just for being positioned in the penalty area um, but when you, a player of this type starts to produce those kind of goal outputs you have to pay attention because one way or the other he's scoring goals and at the end of the day if he's scoring a goal who cares if it goes in off his shin off his knee or off a, a first time half volley that he's timed really well I think you're, you're absolutely right that people and myself included originally I looked at him and saw a powerful runner um, someone who took advantage of space behind opposition defensive lines and the, the defending the third tier was even worse than the second tier so quite often he was just wandering about in spaces between the centre backs and nobody was making a movement to get tight to him so he was scoring a lot of goals but then you look at him a little bit close, more closely and it's those double movements in the penalty area. It's arriving at speed in the penalty area but then adjusting the angle of his attack really quickly so that defenders mm-hmm. don't know he's about to burst past him on, on the left or the right. And it's those little pieces of information that make him stand out in terms of his goal output. I think you're right. I think at the, the top, top level, you're not sure. He is somebody who I think would score goals in Liga to a point because that profile of striker tends to do well in Liga. It, it's players who have that, that powerful running style. He's probably good for, for 10, 12, maybe even 14 goals in Liga next season if they go up. And that would be great for a club like Camofu. But you have to wonder exactly where his level will come, where he'll level off and where he'll come up against defences that will, will start to play him a little bit smarter, if you like, and not give him the space to run behind. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And um, just as an aside, you know, Clermont Foot are, are are an interesting tale. You know, they have never played in Liga, which you know, considering how they've been perennially a, a Ligue 2 side, is quite it's quite hard to believe. But it's just never happened for yeah. them. Um, but yeah, this year they they do appear to be on the cusp of of sort of finally making it. And and of course, partial credit must go to the Bio's goals. You know, whether they've come off his shin from a skewed half volley or <laughs> you know that that sort of thing. Um, moving on into uh, your next, your second pick, Lee. Um, who who are you going to go with for for this one? I think this time we'll go to the English Championship, and I really like Vitali Janelt, the the German number six that was signed this past year in October. He was signed by Brentford from from Bochum 
in the the German second tier. Um, Janelt is a self-confessed number six when he's asked about his best position. He always talks about being a six, although he has played at times as an eight. He's a player that's had a really interesting, perhaps not very settled path to where he is just now because he originally came through and was part of the Hamburg youth system. Then he was poached by RB Leipzig, who obviously really, really keen and are really strong in terms of their youth recruitment within Germany. They did quite well. They, they obviously signed Kimmich as well, uh, away from Stuttgart as a young age and, and developed him. Werner from Stuttgart as well. So from Leipzig, though, he then moved to VfL Bochum. And, and Bochum are such an interesting side for me because they they play, they're positioned in the same area as Schalke and Dortmund and all these big powerhouses in the Rhineland. And they still manage to attract really interesting players to their youth system. And they have a history and a, a quality in terms of how they give their young players minutes in the first team and they allow them to develop. But even then, he was never really settled at Bochum. And when Brentford came in for him, I think there was quite a lot of surprise in Germany that Brentford were interested in this player, not because anybody doubted his quality, but because he'd never really stamped himself in the Bochum first team. And and suddenly you had a side who were aspiring for promotion to the Premier League in England that were willing to pay money to take him across to England. Um, He's done really well so far. I think there was an initial period where he was trying to acclimatise the English game. I think he was helped a little bit when Christian Norgaard, the, the Danish international who plays as the six for Brentford most often, he had a bit of an injury and he has had a few injuries during his Brentford career. And suddenly Janelle find himself in the first team. And I think he's impressed everybody since. He's he's combative, he's aggressive, he, he presses and tries to win the ball back quickly out of possession. But then he's got the ability to use the ball when he wins the ball in transition. He's not somebody he's not a six who who just wants to win the ball and quickly give it away to a more creative player. He's quite happy to take take the responsibility for being that creative player, being that progressive player, and he can break the lines with a pass. He can find all areas of the pitch with diagonal passes from his position. He's he's left-footed, which I always find really interesting in a six because it opens up different areas of the field rather than, rather than somebody who is only right-footed. And he's also shown a little bit of a goal threat, which is, is a, I don't think I'd seen in him before. Um, he scored a, a screamer, I think it was against Middlesbrough, when he got the ball outside the area and just arrowed the ball in the far top corner. Um, so certainly I think somebody like Janelt who's adding goals to his game as well as being that combative presence in the six role I think is interesting for Brentford and I remember when the, the transfer came through I was reading up on it a little bit and I came across an interesting article on the transfer market website and they'd asked him about why he made the, the choice to go to Brentford and he talked about a presentation that he was given by the club by the head of football operations at the club and he talked about they talked about Janelle's role, his strengths, his weaknesses, but they also talked about how many goal involvements they needed their number six to have in terms of the overall goal involvements for the game. Like he would be responsible for X percent of goal involvements if they got to their final target and they, they believed this target would get them to promotion. So I think he really liked the level of detail and that shows a, a player who's willing to think about the game. And he's also uh, involved at the moment with the German under-21 squad at the European Championship we talked about earlier on. So he obviously is somebody who is still still rated in his homeland too. 
Well, Lee, it's fair to say, I think you've just covered every single bullet point that I had on Janelle there. <laughs> um, typical defensive midfielder number six, but has the uh, has a bit of a Brentford edge is, is, what I've, is what I've written here, which I think is probably essentially what I was trying to articulate in the sense that when you were saying that he's left-footed and has got a good good distribution, good range from from that that, num- that number six role. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been playing well recently. I think it was Rasmus Ankerson, um, who's obviously high up at Brentford, um, who who said that, you know, he expected uh, a little bit of time for Ginelt to do, to adapt to English football, to adapt to the championship. But yeah, as you said, with Christian Norgaard's injury, um, he's he's kind of been thrown into it. And and by all accounts, he's done he's done quite well. Um, you know, as you were saying about Bochum in, in, in Zwei Bundesliga, um, you know, they, it's not as though they were on the same level as Brentford. You know, it's not as if, you know, for the past two or three seasons, they've been, you know, really angling for, a, for, for promotion and unfortunate to miss out like Brentford have been. So... I think it's interesting to see that you know he's played thirty odd games this this year um, in in his in probably the the highest level that he ever has, and I think the Germany under twenty one call up to the the Euro squad is probably a reflection of that. Um, in terms of just summarising Janelt, if you if you had to sum him up in three words, what what would it be? Combative, aggressive, intelligent. Sounds like a number six to me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's a He's a, he's a he's a nice player to watch. Um, I think he does, he, as you say, he's combative and he's aggressive. But he does also have that a little bit of that creative spark without being sort of the the star of the show, um, which I think probably is what Brentford identified in him. He's very functional. He's going to be that fulcrum at the base of your midfield, but he's going to be able to offer something as well. He's not one dimensional. So yeah, I think um, yeah, Janelt. If Brentford come up, I, I'd very much like to see the the faith be placed in him to to maybe anchor that that midfield um I, I'm, I'm not sure how it would transpire with him you know playing at a, at a higher level so soon but you know what he's, he's adapted well to the championship who's to say he couldn't do the same for for the premier league moving on I'm, i suppose we can we'll stay with with uh, the german theme there um not a defensive midfielder although my last pick is a defensive midfielder you can tell i was very conscious that i didn't want to pick all attacking players this time around um <laughs> But um, it is it's it's a left back um, who's also in the uh, Germany's under twenty one Euro squad um, who I've selected here, and he it's David Raum who is a twenty two year old left back who has eleven assists in the Zweite Bundesliga this season, um, which is a pretty standout figure. He's he's streets ahead of of the competition uh, in Germany, uh, and he plays for Greuther Fürth, um, who sit fourth, I believe. Um, uh, with third place going into a relegation slash promotion playoff, and um, with sixteenth in the Bundesliga, as that is the how the the pro- promotion relegation system works in Germany's top two tiers. Um, but the top two, very much like the English Championship, um, go up automatically. And I think um, that you know it's it's very much still within within the realms of possibility that that Raum and, and Furt, um could could go up. Um, but it's. It, I, I know what you're thinking. You know, 14, 11 assists in the league, 14 assists in all competitions from left back. You're like, right, okay. You know, surely he's got to be. He's got to be getting signed in the summer. Um, well, it's too late, isn't it, Lee? Because <laughs> Hoff, Hoffenheim have beaten everybody to it. Um, he signed. A, he signed a pre-contract with uh, the Bundesliga club in January until 2025. Um, and you know, a free transfer for a player with 14 assists who's just 22. You know, it's it's pretty good business. 
Um, you know, he's, he's pretty versatile. He's, he, he can play in multiple setups in 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 a, a four three one two, which is predominantly how Firth play, um, but occasionally in a five three two as well, which shows that you know he has that attacking license. And given his his history um, in in Firth's um, youth setup, you know he has typically played as a, a left winger or a right winger, and occasionally very a very long time ago, but occasionally he was played as a centre forward. So he does have that that license to get forward and he doesn't feel overawed or gets into nosebleed territory when he, when he gets over the halfway line. Um, but Lee, I'm sure that you've seen sort of a few of his assists and, and his, and his numbers especially will have stood out to you. Um, but I decided to, to sort of go into the, the assists by sort of the, the category that they'd fall into. Um, and there were eight passes, five crosses, um, two crosses which led to the opposition scoring on goals, which I thought was quite interesting, that, that happened on more than one occasion. Um, and there was one throw-in um, that have, have given him his 14 assists this season, or rather 14 assists and then two crosses which led to own goals. Um, I mean, we, we, there's, there's a nice variety there, although at times I feel as though the, the eight passes, a few of those well, more than a few were sort of the final pass rather than an assist, if that makes sense. You know, it was like the um, the attacker then has still has a lot to do, um, but it still gets credited as a realm assist. I don't know if that's something that you observed with, with sort of your, your watching of him. Yeah, I think the first thing is that I had no idea that you could get an assist from a throw-in. New information for me. Well, he he threw the. He, it was a throw-in. He basically just passed. It was a a bog standard throw-in at the touchline, obviously. <laughs> um, and the the the, the first player sort of spins around and then hits one from range. And yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. If if you want to class that as an assist, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I would take it. He does have a long throw in his lockout. That must yeah. be said. But that, that that wasn't it. That wasn't the occasion. So when I when I saw it listed as a throw in on transfer marks, and then I went and looked at it, I went, "Oh, well, I was kind of expecting a bit of Rory Delap, the German yeah. edition." But no, it wasn't. It was pretty bog standard. I think that's always the fun thing when you talk about assists. I mean, you're right. You talk about them, and clubs place such a high value on simple information such as goals and assists, which is fine, but they don't always translate to goals per 90 or assists per 90 and they don't always look at expected goals per 90 and expected assists per 90 and I think that there are levels of information below just assists that, that some clubs would probably benefit in looking at but saying that I think that you're absolutely right in what you say that he is a really interesting player in the attacking phase for his side Greuter Firth I think it, I think it would be amazing if they were to be promoted this season I think they've maybe held on to Ryan for a little bit too long and that's why he's been allowed to leave in a free transfer to Hoffenheim because obviously he refused to sign a new contract and said he was leaving. Perhaps the club could have sold him 12 months earlier but on the flip side if they sold him they might not currently be in a promotion fight so as a fan of the club surely you would take the potential promotion with the fact that the player might leave in a free transfer. I think he's really interesting in that he does play in slightly different positions. He, he's very smart from left back and knowing when to be wide to provide width and when to come inside a little bit. And it's when he comes inside in those half spaces as modern fullbacks tend to. It's when he comes in there that you see him making those passes that quite often end in, end in goal opportunities or chance creation because he's got the ability to find the feet of the striker. He, he doesn't mind trying to find the furthest line with a pass 
from those half spaces as opposed to just looking to keep the ball moving from left to right, if you like, to try and keep pressure up. He's quite happy to be aggressive in possession, I think, is probably a good way to look at it. But he does have good vision in terms of when he does get up around the outside because he is comfortable as a left winger as well as a left back and always as a left wing back. So he's somebody that Hoffenheim, who quite often switch formation in games and from game to game, he's somebody who will be quite good for them. But he's capable of getting around the outside and making those connections. And you're right, it, it's interesting that two of his crosses have ended up in own goals because that obviously suggests that he's putting the ball into areas of the box that are extremely dangerous and that defenders have to have to try to defend aggressively when they're out of control, which obviously ends up in the own goal. It's completely the right time now for him to make the step up. And I think it's really interesting that he's, he's chosen Hoffenheim to do that because from a developmental level for a 22-year-old to go to Hoffenheim, you could see him play there for two years and then move on to a Champions League-calibre German club if he keeps up this kind of output. Yeah, certainly. That is one of the the, the, the trajectories that I think we could definitely see Rahm on. Um, and, and quite fittingly, in Germany's opening under-21 Euros game against Hungary, he did in fact get an assist. So um, very much staying with, uh, staying with the theme. Um, so I think that must be 15 assists all competitions, club and country, um, for, for him this season, which I know we're getting sort of caught up on it. But I mean, it is, it is a very standout figure. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's... It, it, I mean... I know I said that the caveat about a lot of his his, his past assists are, are um are sort of final passes, but there are one thing I will say about a few of them is is that you know they are creative, they're often incisive passes. You know, it's it's him getting into areas which you know your your, your traditional left back, one who's perhaps less comfortable playing wider, less comfortable going around the outside, just simply wouldn't take up those spaces. Um, and yeah, completely agree with what you're saying about the, the the own goals that have arisen from round crosses. Because you know, if you put the ball into the corridor of uncertainty, then you've got a, you've got defenders there who are thinking, right, I need to get rid of this because there's a striker on my shoulder, and it forces them into making a decision. And not all of the, not all of the time it it pays off for the defence um, as we've as we've seen this season with with Greuther Firth just moving on Lee um, I'm just going to go with your who's your your third pick my third pick is the one that you got most excited about when I sent my list across so I, oh I, yes of course I, it I is yes I remember now <laughs> so we're, we're going to Serie B in Italy, and it's Samuel Ricci, the the nineteen year old central midfielder at Empoli. Um, he's such a lovely player, and and I've I've always had a soft spot for Empoli. My my wife and I have been to Florence quite a few times, and yes, I've been to Fiorentina game, but I've also been to a couple of Empoli games, and I, I love the club and the stadium and, and kind of the edginess around the club a little bit. And again, like so many of the clubs that we we're talking about, Empoli have got a real habit of developing these young players. Ismail Benacer, who's now at Milan, obviously played at Empoli, um, amongst others. And, and they seem to love these technical central midfielders. Um, he's somebody who has been capped by the Italy under-21 squad. He's not in the European Championships, much to my, my dismay when I saw the squad, because... I think he would really add something to the Italy side that I saw play yesterday. And obviously, they, they've now got a bit of an issue with Tonali having been sent off in that match and being suspended for, for a period of time. But Ricci is, is capable of playing as a 6 or an 8. He is so unlike a lot of young Italian players. You see 
when you watch Italy play at the national level, at the European Championships, the, the World Under-20 Cup, the Olympics, whatever underage competition it is, they're always full of players who are tactically and technically extremely well coached. So they're all comfortable receiving the ball. They're all capable of slotting and rotating in and out of different positions. They're all capable of finding the next right pass, if you like. They don't always have that that level of creativity and, and, and geniusness, if you like, that, that sometimes teams need to have. They miss a little bit of the, the creative flair if you like and that's why players that come through Italy like Lorenzo Insigne for example that's why they're they're so important to the Italian national side and Ricci has a little bit of that creativity in him he's extremely capable around the final third and finding little angles and pockets to receive the ball he plays intelligent passes he's capable of breaking the defensive line with a pass he quite likes the no look pass uh, to the player coming around his blind side which i always like to see in young players that little bit of creativity and willingness to take a chance but he's also quite competitive he's not somebody who gets pushed off the ball easily Um, he likes to stand his ground in midfield he's capable of making a challenge he's capable of of pushing defenders off the ball to win the ball back and he presses and chases the ball really well out of possession. I think I've already seen links to bigger clubs, clubs in Serie A. Fiorentina have been linked for quite a while and that's quite normal for youngsters from Empoli because for those that don't know, Empoli is a, a small city on the outskirts of Florence so it's it's not difficult for, for Fiorentina to get scouts out and they'll know all the players in the MPU system anyway but he was also quite strongly linked to Milan before they signed Sandro Tonali and I read a couple of articles saying that if Tonali falls through for any reason then Ricci would be the correct choice because he's a young midfielder who has the qualities that Milan were looking for. Um, I know Joe that you're a fan of him, what do you make of him? Yeah, Richie is. I mean, I'm I'm disappointed that he won't be at the under twenty one Euros because there's there's been an outbreak of COVID cases at Empoli, so yeah. that's kind of ruled him out there. Um, it's not as though he wouldn't be getting called up. And to be honest, I don't think it would be too long if he was if he were playing at this level in Serie A, continuing you know the the the, the same consistent level of performance. I, I wouldn't say it would be too long until he was sort of in the discussion for the senior team. Um, but you know, he, he I I just think he's a fantastic player in that you know. He's typically a central midfielder, but you know, very much plays on the left side of this very Italian four-three-one-two uh, within the three. And you know, he's very, very comfortable, very adept at taking up those wide spaces with his back to the touchline. Um, as with the no-look passes, as you said, you know, he just has he, he just ooze. It seems to ooze confidence a bit, and you know, it's. I very much like that style of footballer who is versatile enough that they can play in multiple positions within a system um, because it means that you're so tactically flexible. You know, having a player who isn't regimented, who isn't, you know, going to be completely ineffectual if you ask them to actually migrate into spaces uh, elsewhere on the pitch is so it's so useful for, for teams um, because, you know, you can, it, it's it's very much the same in players who are who are central midfielders who drop, who can drop into the fullback space Um who are very comfortable, you know, when 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 their 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 wing backs push on, that central midfielders drop into those right hand and left hand half spaces, sort of in the um around the centre circle. Um, I think Richie is sort of the inverse of that in that he's not dropping into the left back space; he's sort of pushing up into the left midfielder's left wing space, um, which I very much like. And uh, what to be fair, when I was watching Empoli, when I was watching Richie um, before this. 
one thing I did want to get from sort of your insight was was the dynamics of how that works. You know, how does that formation? How does a player of that ilk? How does it? What are the what are the dynamics of of a four three one two with a player like that, uh, like Richie in this team? I think that in the four three one two, you're right. The wide midfielders they they kind of have to be multifunctional because you have the ten, you have the two strikers, and they're kind of the fixed positions within the team. Beyond that, you'll have the the central midfielder and the three who will act more as the six and won't really move very far. So you have two pivots and that you have the, the central midfielder and the three and you have the ten. So they kind of stay central and they kind of always act and the rest of the players move around them. So to play in the wide areas, and the, the, the wide midfield in the four three one two, it's narrow when you look at it in the pitch because he is a central midfielder and not a left-sided winger. But there is an emphasis on the players in those areas being able to move forward in the half spaces especially and kind of combine with the fullback as they move forward because the fullback moves forward to provide the width and the, the left-sided central midfielder has to be the one in the half space to provide the connection between that and the 10 and the striker. But if the fullback doesn't get forward quickly enough or if it's in transition, you'll find the left-sided central midfielder. So Richie for Empoli, he will move outside to collect the ball wide and then he'll either hold the ball up, play combination play and then gradually move back inside as the fullback catches up play. So I think it goes down again to what I talked about with young players in the Italian setup, that they're so well coached from a tactical perspective that they, they're they taught system of play. They're, they're taught that from a very young age and they play in different formations. They play in diamonds, they play in 4-4-2s and 4-3-2s and 3-5-2s and all these different things. And players are taught what pictures to look for in terms of where they should be on the pitch at any given time. And when you see a player break through that has that tactical versatility, it becomes really interesting because he combines that with the technical ability that you're right, he can receive the ball on the touchline at times and then play combinations to allow the attack to catch up. He can play further forward in the half space and then affect the game from there. But defensively, he also knows exactly what his position is in the 4-3-1-2. So it becomes more narrow then and the fullback's kind of isolated against the opposition winger and the left-sided central midfielder will come across as the opposition fullback then looks to join in to try to overload. But otherwise, he will stay centrally and try to break passing lanes for the opposition. So there's a lot going on for players in that position and it is typically Italian because you don't see it used in a lot of different places, a lot of other countries. But at the same time, I think that the Italian game is almost one of the most dynamic and flexible from a tactical perspective. You can watch a, a slate of Italian games if you want to the weekend and you'll see 3-5-2, You'll see diamonds with, with different configurations. And that's what makes the Italian game so interesting for me. So I think that's probably quite part of the reason that Richie is somebody who has been looked at so closely, I think, by Serie A sides. I don't think he's somebody who's likely to move abroad. Um, you don't often see young Italian players of this mould moving to, to foreign countries. You, they kind of tend to stay in Italy. It's more likely that he will move to a bigger club. Um, I would really like personally to see him at an Atalanta, where I think his technical ability in the midfield would be really important. It's very, very, very interesting that you mentioned Atalanta right at the end there, because throughout that, I was the the image that it was evoking in my head was just the success of Atalanta has been just this positional and tactical flexibility and the the tactical intelligence that all of these you know middle of the road players at at, at Atalanta 
because that's let's face it, that's what they had been for the vast majority of their career yeah. before they were corralled into Giampiero Gasparini's system. You know, very middle of the road players, just the tactical intelligence um, that they all play, they all fill in in each other's positions when um, when they're out of when when you know they they go forward with the ball in and out of possession. It's like it's 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 regimented, but it's regimented in fluidity in the sense that they know the role. They, essentially, football is a game of patterns. They know where to be and how to position themselves when certain patterns show themselves. And I think that is exactly what you're saying on, on the sense that, you know, young Italian players are coached um, in, in the sort of, in tactical speak, so so, so to speak, um, because they, yeah, they, they very much know how to adapt themselves to different tactical situations. And, and Ricci, um, certainly in in Serie B um, is is kind of one of the perf- one of the perfect examples of that. Um, just moving on to our last pick, and it is my is my last player. Uh, and out of the three that I've picked, I think Mohamed Bayo was was probably quite raw. David Raum was 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 is probably a bit more refined than than the other two. Um, but Samu Costa, who is with Almeria at the moment in um, the Spanish Segunda, so uh, the division below La Liga, he is um, the player that I think is perhaps the the, the most raw at the moment. Um, he's a 20-year-old, number six, on loan um, at Almeria from SC Braga in Portugal. Uh, and there's an option to buy there. Um, but Almeria are sort of on the cusp of, of trying to be promoted from La Liga to... Um, you know, behind Real Mallorca, who look like, at, at the face of things, look like they'll probably take the title. Um, but the thing that stuck out for me with Samuel Costa was that he's a very jagged player. Um, he's very deliberate with his movements. Um, and for a player who's so young, playing at, you know, a, a reasonably high level, you know, his physicality stands out on the pitch, um, which is always a good indicator of um, how ready and how adept a player is to, for, for men's football, essentially. You know, he's he's 20 years old, um, and and is 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 no stranger. He's not shy of putting himself about. Um, he's, he's intelligent in the way that he's very good at drawing fouls as well. Um, you know, leans his body in to, to to draw the decision from the referee. Which you know, if nothing else, is is, is actually quite smart. It relieves pressure on your team. Um, can waste a bit of time. Um, but as I was saying, you know, he's he seems to be a bit rough around the edges. You know, his, I, th- I feel like his passing could probably be improved. You know, we were talking about. Um, sixes earlier who can you know play those 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 long rangey passes center backs who can make those line breaking balls um I, i'd say with samu costa that's not a, an area of his game that's quite developed yet um he's he's a very good player to have in a team who dominate possession um because you know he's he's very good at keeping the tempo you know he's he's constantly on the move you know it's it's almost like he's never sprinting because he's always there ready to receive ready to be that fulcrum type player um you, where you can bounce passes into and he'll bounce them back out um to to other players and it just helps you it's just another route to to sort of progressing the ball um but, but yeah, in, in terms of his, his ball progression, yeah, there are certainly limitations to it, um, as well as keeping composure under pressure. Sometimes his passes can be a bit rushed. Um, but in terms of tidying up in 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 uh, in front of Almeria's defence, then yeah, I think his his attributes are, are very impressive. And and I think um, particularly in a more defensive, more destructive top flight team, um, I don't think he's he's top top level potential but I think he has he has La Liga potential at the very least Liga Noche uh, potential 
um, you know, I think they, his, his defensive attributes in particular um, could certainly translate to that higher level. Um, Lee, I don't know what, what you sort of gleaned from, from any insights that you saw from watching Samu Costa, if you managed to get around to that at all. I think this is a first for this podcast when we've been doing these, but you've caught me. This is a player that I wasn't aware of before you sent him over. Um, doesn't happen very often. I <laughs> quite often um, find myself scrolling through Y Scout and then using data, obviously, to find interested players. And Samu Costa hadn't ended up on my, my radar at all. So when you sent over your list, I went and, and watched his touches for four or five games and I've kind of done a little bit of research. And, and I think what you're saying is really interesting because for as much as we talked with Vitaly Janelt about his ability to, to break the lines as a six and how, how that can be important for a team, the truth with football is that not all number sixes are made the same. Not all number sixes are required to be the same player. You don't have to have a number six who's able to break the line. And I think that Sam Acosta, to put it mildly, he's got a bit of a bastard about him. Yeah. He, he doesn't mind. I mean, you're absolutely right. He doesn't mind winning fouls. And if you remember the dominant Man City team, the 100-point season, there was so much criticism levelled from opposition supporters, especially at Fernandinho, because he had this habit of either giving away professional fouls when the opposition were in transition or winning professional fouls when the opposition would just seem to make the lightest of contact. But the way he fell and gesticulated at the referee always seemed to be a free kick for Man City. I think Sam costa has got a little bit of that about him. Um, he's somebody who will wind up opposition players and fans I think there's value in having a number six who is that that support behind the ball and is that constant reference. It's similar to when Liverpool won the title last season, there was a lot of talk about Fabinho because um, Pep Linders, the Jurgen Klopp's assistant, came out in the media and said that Fabinho is our lighthouse. That meant that he was the reference point for the team. He was a player who would always be positioned in supporting areas. He'd always be positioned centrally. And the rest of the team knew they could move around him. And Sam Costa has a little bit of that. He's not the same player. I'm not saying that he's Fabinho and I'm not saying he's Fernandinho. These are just comparisons that I make because there are little things that remind me about the player. But for Sam Costa, I think that he is always there to be the receiver and then bounce the ball back out of pressure to move the impact and the focus and the angle of the attack from one side or one half space to the other half space. And and that can be important for the team. I really like Braga and Portugal in terms of the way, again, we, we keep coming back to this and we could probably do a whole podcast on, on teams that we find interesting in terms of their player development and youth development. And Braga's another one. that They've got this ability to to develop players who aren't just technically good, but they're mentally strong as well. They, they have that ability to, to take challenges. And Braga have got a reputation as the underdogs, obviously, in Portugal, behind Sporting and Porto and Benfica. So Braga players have to be a little bit more functional, a little bit more aggressive, and they have to be bastards sometimes. And I think that Sam Acosta has that. I think Almeida and, and, and themselves are interesting because obviously last season, everybody... Well, not everybody, but a lot of us were watching our media because they had Darwin Nunes, who obviously then made the move to Benfica. And I think that Sam Acosta has been an interesting player. I think he's somebody who I have now got on shortlists and I've got on spreadsheets and I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I think it's likely that Almeida will take up the option to buy if they get promoted. If they don't get promoted, I think it's a little bit more tenuous in terms of their financial situation and whether they would or not. But if he mm. does go back to Braga, he is somebody who could well take the, the opportunity to start there in Liga Nos. 
I mean, this, that's a huge endorsement for my talent ID there um, that you've got, you've now entered him into into your your famous the infamous spreadsheets. But no, I, I agree what you're saying. You know, he's a, he does have a bit of the bastard about him, and it's one of those things that we keep coming back to um, that sometimes you do need in young players. You need a bit of needle because otherwise you're gonna get you're gonna get eaten alive. Um, and you know, it's he's very good aerially. You know, he's he's quite tall. He's six one, six two, um, and yeah, he's very developed. Um, and what you were saying about sort of not all number sixes are made differently, are not made the same. You know, the, what I've described him as in my notes is that he's a smuggler. You know, there, there are many ways to progress the ball up the pitch. He smuggles it. You know, defenders, the midfielders, they funnel the passes into him, a one-two from through Costa. And, you know, you're 10 yards closer to the to the opponent's goal. It doesn't have to be a straight line breaking pass. It doesn't have to be a progressive carry. You know, it can just be sometimes... You're just that that touch point that that your team can rely on, like the lighthouse, as you were as you were referencing. Um, but yeah, I think um, he's he's certainly a player that that I, I'm 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 going to be a little bit invested in now. I think because he has a bit of that needle, yeah. I'm quite I'm probably a little bit more invested in him than any of the other players that we've mentioned, um, and that's probably why I've left him to last so I can wax lyrical the most. But um, yeah, say you know, say Almeria go up and, and exercise their option. Um, there'll, there'll, there'll certainly be occasions where I think uh, in La Liga he may be found out in in quotes, but I think he's the type of player where from from watching him, as you say, for four or five games, you know, that he'll probably be a great learning experience, and he probably will pick up so much. Uh, but in the way of you know just tactical now in terms of knowing when to draw certain fouls, knowing when to alleviate pressure on your team, um, and and when to to hone those defensive actions. Um, so yeah, I think. He's um yeah he, he's definitely a player that I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye on um for is is Samu Costa. That brings us to the end of our second tier scouting episode. We've we've gone through six players there: uh, Mohamed Bayo, David Raum, Samu Costa, uh, Vitali Janelt, Bafori Diakite, and Samueli Ricci. Um, they they predominantly play for teams who are who are challenging for promotion this season. But I think it's fair to say that across Europe's top five leagues and the, and the the divisions below them in in those countries, those second tiers are. Are, are stocked full of talent, you know, very much like the same story in the championship. You know, there is a vast array of talented players who who regularly make the step up to the Premier League. The same can be said of Zweite Bundesliga, Serie B, Ligue 2 and, and La Liga too. So um, certainly if you're if you're at a loose end and you're, you're looking to pick up a little bit more more football, more perhaps more niche um, what viewing, then yeah, I'd say that the second tiers is, is, is definitely the, the place to be. Um, Lee, thank you very much again for, for joining me on this one. Um, I'm sure we'll have another episode, um, perhaps even SC Braga and their talent ID and development uh, in future. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for, for coming on again. No worries. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, that is all from us. Um, Keep an eye out on the Scouted Football Twitter and Instagram and our social accounts for um, everything to do with under 21 euro um, as that will be happening this week. Um, If you would like to see more in-depth scouting and analysis and and opinion, um, do check out the Scouted Football website or um, pick up a handbook that you can get on sfhandbook.com. But failing that, um, if you just like listening to these pods, thank you very much for tuning in. This has been the Scouted football podcast. Bye for now.